Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I've had several conversations this week and a couple very meaningful... Well, <laughs> that sounds terrible, doesn't it? <clears throat> I've had several meaningful conversations this week, but a couple of them on uh, a very pertinent, important topic, educating myself and trying to get some perspective trying to learn the thing, learn and come to know the things that I don't know. And with where we're at, what we're seeing going on in society, with what we saw last night again, uh, I've prayed a lot about where to go and what to do with the messages. And I, as I've said before, I had a, I had a plan for... Uh, for most of the summer of what I was going to be preaching, and I had prayed about it and started preparing. I actually started preparing the end of last year for what we were going to be doing, and, and the events have changed things, and I spent a lot of time praying and talking to God about what he would have me do. And, and uh, so what we're going to be doing about the next, for the next few weeks uh, is, uh, we'll see how long it takes, in a series called Let's Talk About Race. We've spent the last two weeks. Last week we had a, a great message from uh, the three pastors on staff here, and then uh, the week before we talked about it. And I'll tell you what, I've, I sent Aaron a text message this morning, and I said, just pray for me, will you? Because uh, uh, this is a topic that I have to preach in the power of the Spirit and not out of anger. I've got to be real honest with you. And there's a lot of anger uh, that's built up not necessarily in me, but in society. And, and then I'll be very honest, a lot of anger in me. Um, so I wanna make sure that as I preach this series, uh, that I do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I asked my wife and she, she prayed with me. And, and, uh, and then secondly, um, I know that one of the things that stepping into a, preaching a message like this that's going to be pre, that I'm preaching this morning uh, can cause me to lose a lot of friends. And the way I look at it, I'm, I'm really not that kind of guy. If you want to be my friend, you can be my friend. If not, I've got three dogs at home. You know? and, uh, and I've got some guys that are helping me put a swimming pool in the house. Uh, I've got three dogs, a swimming pool. And, uh, you know, I've got a pickup truck. So I'm all set. And if I lose, if, if what we're going to be preaching on causes division among myself and brethren, uh, well, that's just okay. I've had to come to that terms, uh, come to terms with that. The reason I say that about this message is because the first message in this series is uh, called A History of Race and the White Church. <laughs> A history of race and the white church. First John chapter four, verse twenty. I, uh, Mel, I don't think Melvin will be watching this morning. Melvin Edwards will watch. Uh, usually watches the ten thirty service with Suzanne. <laughs> and as I was talking with Melvin this week on the phone, he shared this verse with me. He said, "This is my favorite verse because it it says so much, and it's so important when it comes to relations in the church." and especially relations 
as human beings among races. It says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's a powerful statement. It's a very powerful statement. And people will say, well, what are you talking about? Hate. The reason I titled this message A History of Race and the White Church is because I'm going to be using illustrations and quotes throughout at the very beginning of this message to show us exactly what the attitude has been in much, I'm not talking all of it, I'm not saying all of the church, all of the white church, but in the white church down through history, I think some of it will shock you. I think it will absolutely shock you. And some of the quotations I'll be using are from men that are looked up to as heroes with those who I trained with, who I went to school with all the way from high school on up. Therefore, perhaps friendships might be strained. Oh well, that's my, that's my attitude towards that, okay? Mark chapter 3, verse 25 says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Let me move. I've got to move quickly. I want to say some things about that, but we'll say it later on. In this ser sermon series, we're going to be looking at the issue of <clears throat> that America is facing the race issue in an honest way. Listen, we're not going to shy away from even the toughest questions, but what we're what we're going, what we aren't going to do is look at it in a social justice way. This is where we're going to take a different, a different trail, okay? We're going to be looking at the issue of race in America, but not from a social justice way. We're going to be looking at the, situ the, the issue of race in America from a biblical way. How should Christians see these issues, and how should we stand according to the Bible on these issues? I think when we look at it according to Scripture, we'll see that much of what has gone on in the past is absolutely wrong. What is going on today is wrong, and it has to change. And we have to be the ones who do what is necessary within our hearts, and then outside. Everybody wants to talk, right? Everybody wants to have a conversation. Conversations are great, but conversation without action, I think the Bible says faith without works is dead. So we can say conversation without action is meaningless. So unless we're willing to take what we learn from the Bible, not from me, from the Bible, and apply it to our lives and apply it to our relationships and our situations, then it's going to be meaningless. I reached out to Melvin Edwards this week, and uh, I've, I've dropped Melvin's name a lot lately, and he's okay with it. Um, and I said, Melvin, listen, I would really appreciate it. I, I know it's a big ask, but... I would really like to be able to start some relationships with some African-American pastors that you know. And if you would be willing to, to be the, the mediator, the go-between, then that would be awesome. And he did, and I, he, he connected me with a pastor in Springfield this week that's just close to me, my age. He's got a 10-year-old boy, a 7-year-old boy. Uh, and we, had, we talked for an hour on the phone and just got to know each other. It was amazing, and I'm so thankful because this is, what I, this is what I need to do as a pastor and as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a member of this community to become better at this. And that's, if, if I'm going to preach this, then I need to model it as well. 
we're going to be looking at it in a biblical way. Why? Because I believe I know in my heart of hearts that if we would truly see these matters, if we could see each other through the lens of the Bible, then we would truly see the love of Jesus and we would be able to truly, truly, truly build the kingdom of God in the way it was designed to be built. These next two verses are, have primary applications, but there's also, in the Bible, there's a primary application, but there's also secondary applications you can make from principles that you find in the scriptures. And that's what we're doing with these two verses. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, we are told in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from, to, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If Satan can blind the minds of unbelievers to see the truth of Jesus Christ, and we still have the old nature, if we don't surrender to the new nature and the Holy Spirit, Satan can continue to blind our minds as believers to the truth. And we're going to be seeing what the truth is as we go through this. And then Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. They worshiped and praised what has been created rather than the creator. Let me say this very bluntly. There are many white Christians who worship their whiteness. There are many people in America who worship their whiteness. White is right. You ever heard that? In a locker room? <laughs> I have. The Bible tells us that we need to worship God first rather than what he created. Because if you worship him, not the creation, then he will be able to give you the perspective you need as you move forward and move through life. And you will see people truly as creations of God and not as people for whom you need to have a distaste. True statement, racism has caused division in the church. Black and white are separated on Sunday. Some questions we need to ask ourselves. Is this of God? Is this the way we were designed to function? Is this the way God set things up? When, he, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, did he set it up that black people would go to one church and white people would go to another church and brown people would go to another church? Is that the way he designed it? Or do we have it wrong? Is this truly being a city set on a hill? Because remember, Jesus said, I will, I, I'm giving you, I, I'm making you the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Is this the kind of city that Jesus intended us to be? Is this what the world will see? And this is, what it comes, this is where it comes down to brass tacks. Is this what the world will see and say, I need what they have? Okay, now, now it gets tricky. I received an email from a pastor in New England that was written to his church this past week. And it was titled, Biblical Guidance for Turbulent Times. <laughs> he attempts to explain how we should face these times biblically and comes to a point in the letter. And it's, most of this is really good. Most of the email is really good about how we should be biblically and this and that and the other thing. And I hope that 
I hope that you, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not being critical of people, please. I'm not, I'm not picking on somebody. I'm not starting a war with other, other pastors. I'm just speaking truth. And if we, don't, if we don't face truth and we don't call error out, then I believe we lose our credibility. There was a point in the, letter, in the email, and it was outlined, said the Christian view is the best, the Christian view is that the best possible way to make the world a better place is to work to help to others come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Very true. That is, if we can get people saved, man, and, and we can allow them, and we can disciple them, then that's the best way to, to bring about change in a person's life. This is, this is great, until he goes on to explain what he means. And usually when we go on and try to explain is where we get ourselves into trouble, okay? Because we start to say what's really in our hearts. And I believe the reason I'm using this is that I believe this is what really is in many hearts. When someone gives their life to Christ, they, this is all quotations, it's not me saying this, okay? It's all quotations, <laughs> understand that. When someone gives their life to Christ, they become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And new creations in Christ begin to live according to new biblical standards, such as love your neighbor as yourself, Mark 12, 31, and do to others what you would have them do to you, Matthew 7, 12. <laughs> he goes on. Now imagine with me, if everyone in the world became a new creation in Christ and lived by Christ's code of conduct. <sighs> if that were the case, the very first thing he says is this. If that were the case... Floyd wouldn't, he's talking about George Floyd, he only calls him Floyd, doesn't use his full name. Floyd wouldn't have been involved in the criminal activity that got him arrested in the first place and ultimately led to his death. By your reaction, I see that I'm on, that you're on track with this. Okay? Folks, this is a modern-day pastor in the Springfield metro area pastoring a church, larger church, and what he's preaching to his people. If you don't think we have a problem in the white church in America, think again. When, I'm not going to debate. I'm really not up for the debate, okay? If you're going to defend anything, I don't even want to talk about it, seriously. If you're gonna blame this guy, I don't really care. You'd, you're falling into the wrong pattern. You're falling into the wrong way of thinking here. That's just absolutely horrible. The problem with this pastor's statement in this line of thinking is that it starts the process of sin in the matter of racism and prejudice and unequal justice and abuse of power with George Floyd, the victim. It says that if he was just a law-abiding citizen, then he would not have done what he did, which eventually led to his own death. And see, we could extrapolate everything we do in life to that, to back to a, a point, right? If I had, listen, if I hadn't taken one too many Oreos, I wouldn't weigh 270 pounds right now, right? I mean, that's just truth. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. I could, if the Oreo company, and I could, I could change that, if the Nabisco company didn't decide to make Oreos, then I wouldn't be in this position. That's the sense that that comment makes. It ignores the centuries of racist attitudes and actions 
that have been built into the hearts and minds of many, not all, but many Americans in the white community and the white church. <laughs> it completely ignores the cold, hard fact of the matter that if, jo if George Floyd were white, he would be alive today. He would probably be out on bail and may not even have been arrested in the first place. That kind of thinking is dysfunctional thinking. It's irrational thinking. Unfortunately, it's many in the white church's thinking. And it's wrong thinking. What it does is ignore the original sin of racism that occurred when some white people felt it was okay, it was their God-given right, to kidnap black people from their homeland and bring them to a new world to be sold and owned as property. It ignores the fact that slavery and the resulting racism in America has caused the church in America to be a segregated church. Let's be clear, slavery was sin, just as racism and segregation are sin. But let's also be clear, the white church in America down through history has either been silent on the issue or has supported it outright. This is not a new problem, it's very old. There are those who deny the history of racism in the American church. There are those who say that the way things are and have always been is the way that everyone wants them to be, that black people go to, get, go to church together and white people go to church together and brown people go to church together because of cultural differences, because that's just how we're comfortable. There are those who are tone deaf and willingly and willfully ignorant in their lack of true understanding of race in the church, and there are those who just don't care. But we cannot deny that there is an ugly history down through the centuries, and it started and remains with leadership, as this email shows, and filters down as truth to the congregation. But let's consider that, let's just not look at this one, let's look at truth down through, histor down through history, historical facts about church, the white church, and race. Before 1840, before 1840, many whites believed blacks weren't fully human. How many of you remember from your history classes the three-fifths compromise, where black people were considered, black men, not black women, because women don't count, black men were considered three-fifths of a human being for voting purposes, right? Well, that was in church as well. <sighs> many whites believed, before 1840, many whites believed blacks weren't fully human and therefore didn't have a soul. Therefore, they could not be saved because Jesus didn't die for them. Even when some Christians and pastors changed their minds, they still approved of slavery and any means of punishment towards slaves who revolted. That's historical fact. The Southern Baptist Convention split from the Triennial Convention over the right to own slaves and still praise Jesus. In 1845, a group of Southern Baptists broke away from the Triennial Convention and the American Baptist Home Mission Society due to differences on the slavery issue. This is well documented. Even though SBC leadership has since publicly apologized, not much is being done to correct the segregation in church. The Knights of the Ku Klux Klan claim as one of their foundational principles their Christian heritage. The Carolina Klan's Bob Jones led the third iteration of the KKK, and he set on a 45 RPM record. Remember those, those of you who are my age, 45s, you could buy them at the store for 99 cents? He said this, the fiery cross, or burning crosses, served as a symbol of sacrifice and service and a sign of the Christian religion sanctified and made holy nearly 19 centuries ago by the suffering and blood of 50 million martyrs who died in the most holy faith. He emphasized cross burnings as driving away darkness and gloom. By the fire of the cross, we mean to purify and cleanse our virtues by the fire of the sword, to keep the white race superior. In the 1920s, traveling evangelists such as, uh, such as, 
uh, men like Bob Jones, Alma White, B.B. Krim, Charlie Taylor, Raymond T. Ritchie lauded the white supremacist groups in their sermons and publications. Now here's where I'm, many people will be with me up to this point, but here's where I'm gonna lose some, pe some friends, I guarantee it. Because in the fundamentalist, Baptist fundamentalist group, and even some uh, Assemblies of God fundamentalist groups, there's a silhouette that they use, and it's a silhouette of a preacher standing like this. He's got one hand in the air, he's holding a Bible in one hand, and he's preaching hard. That's a silhouette of a man named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player and an alcoholic, came to know Christ and became a powerful preacher and one of the leaders in the movement uh, of abolition back in the 20s. Billy Sunday, the most influential evangelist of his day and whose silhouette is used by many fundamentalist groups today, had close ties to the Klan. On many occasions, and these are documented, on many occasions he received offerings from the Klan. Sometimes before rallies, the Klan would come in their, in their robes and hoods and give him money before he preached. They considered him an ally. And this is one of the men that we have lifted up, the white church in white, in white colleges where white men are trained and taught to be pastors. It's one of the men we've lifted up as heroes. During the Civil War, pastors like J.W. Tucker likened the Southern cause of defending slavery to the cause of God, the cause of Christ, of humanity. It is a conflict of truth with error, of Bible with Northern infidelity, of pure Christianity with Northern fanaticism. Those are words from him. In 1954, in the year of Brown versus Board of Education, G.T. Gillespie was president emeritus, president emeritus of Bellhaven College, and he gave an address called A Christian View on Segregation, in which he justified racial segregation, he said, based on the Bible. And perhaps one of, if not the worst, statement of modern racial error by a white preacher. And here's the next one that's probably going to get me kicked out of my high school and lose all my friends that I went to high school with because of who said this and just listen, okay? This was, he made a radio, on Easter Sunday, 1960, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., the founder of Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, gave this radio address in the middle of the, uh, of the civil rights movement in America, he gave this radio address. This is, these are just some outtakes from it. He said, and, and I will say this, it should be noted that Bob Jones University has since denounced this, they don't hand it out anymore, and they have since uh, apologized for their history of racial segregation. Here's some outtakes from that address. If, if and that, uh, let's see, if you are against segregation and against racial segregation, then you are against God Almighty because he made racial segregation in order to preserve the race through whom, uh, through whom he could send the Messiah and through whom he could send the Bible. God is the author of segregation. God made of one blood of, of all nations, but he also drew the boundary lines between races. But racially, we have separation in the Bible. Let's get that clear. Any race has a right to come to America, we do not mean that when we came over here, we wiped out the line between the races. We did not do that. We should have let the Africans stay in Africa instead of bringing them here for slaves. But did you colored people ever stop to think where you might have been had this not happened? Seriously, man, he said this on, on radio, okay? Think about this. 
Did you, did you colored people ever stop to think where you might have been if this had not happened? Now, you colored people, listen to me. If you had been brought over here, and if your grandparents in slavery days had not heard that great preaching, you might not even be a Christian. You might be over there in the jungles of Africa today, unsaved. But you are here in America where you have your own schools and your own churches and your own liberties and your own rights and certain restrictions that God Almighty put about you, restrictions that are in line with the Word of God. I have no axe to grind. I would like to tell you something. We had planned to build a school just like Bob Jones University here in the South for colored people. We wanted to build it. Up in heaven, there will be no boundaries. We will be one forever in Christ. But we are not one down here as far as race is concerned and as far as nations are concerned. God said so. And Paul made it clear when he preached at Athens in the midst of Athenian culture. No wonder Martin Luther King Jr. said that 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week. Now, let's get into some statistics. Only between five to seven and a half percent of churches in the U.S. are considered to be racially diverse, a designation meaning that at least 20% of the church's members don't belong to the predominant racial group there. Sadly, we are, we, as New Life, we would be right on the edge of that. We'd be right on the edge of that. So we're included in that group. It doesn't mean that the churches are, are racist. It simply means that churches are divided. <laughs> 90% of African-American Christians worship in all-black churches, and 90% of white American Christians worship in all-black churches. Now, there's no way to go back now, man. I've said it all. I brought it out. And it's on Facebook Live. And hopefully there's still people watching. Zach gave me the thumbs up, so we're okay. Our history is horrible and divided. Listen, the reason I brought all this out, the reason I said this is not to be, is not to be whatever you think I might want it, be wanting to be. This needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed, I believe, from the right perspective. I know, and if every one of us in our hearts, if we would be honest with what we know, I mean what we know in our hearts, we would admit that we know this is all true. It may surprise you that some people have been so blatant in their comments and their statements, but we all know it's true. And, and those, of you, those of you who are, uh, who are uh, people of color, whether you're black or brown, you know it's true. And those of us who are white, we know it's true too. So that's our history lesson. Let's answer some important questions. And that's what we're going to attempt to do in this series. Biblically, not my perspective, not my point of view, not a political. This is not a political statement at all. Listen, we are called, if, we're, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, the Bible says we desire a better country, a heavenly country, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. So, I reject completely what Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said. I believe earth is the time we practice for heaven. 
And we should be learning how to get along, right? It breaks my heart. I had a friend show up yesterday, knows what's going on in our neighborhood. We're being shunned. Just gonna tell you, we're being shunned by people in our neighborhood because of what happened to my boys and that I put it on Facebook. God forbid I expose racism, right? <laughs> a friend of mine showed up yesterday and said, listen, man, didn't say anything about it. He said, I was wondering if your boys, mm, it gets me. I was just wondering if your boys would like a job for the summer. I'd like them to come and water my, my plants. And he knows what's going on, and he's making a statement to me in the neighborhood. He says, I've got a lot of kids in my neighborhood, but I thought of your boys first. Man, that is putting action to what's in your heart. And that's where we should be going with this, and that's where I want to go. Because as a church, man, we're better than this. Christians, we're better than this. People watching on Facebook, we're better than this. We're better than being satisfied to be divided by color. Seriously. We're better than silly little comments and sideways looks. We're better than that. We're called to be better than that. So what questions are we gonna answer? How does our checkered history on race relations in the church compare with the teaching of the Bible on race relations? Is the KKK right? Did God really create the white races superior and the black and brown races as less than human? Was Dr. Bob Jones Sr. right that the black race in America should be thankful that their ancestors were... That was so outrageous, man, I can't even take it. That they should be thankful that their ancestors were brought over as slaves, abused and killed because of that system. They were given the gospel. <laughs> Is that the way God intended missions to work? Are modern-day pastors and Christians right who say that black and brown people are happier in their own churches because worship is a cultural thing? I'm asking, these are honest questions, and we're going to be looking for answers in the Word, what the Bible has to say about it. Here's, a, because here's what I want to do. Here's what I believe that God is leading me to do. Pull back. Listen, and I'm the guy. I really am because I don't give a flip. <laughs> I honestly don't. I don't care what you think about me. I've been a loner most of my life because of the way we grew up as vagabonds, right, Donna? We grew up traveling everywhere. We didn't have deep roots in any community. So I'm the perfect guy. I could be alone all my, I could be alone by my, I could be alone by myself. That's a really intelligent question, right? I just want truth to be, to be brought out. And I want these questions answered. And once these, answer, once these questions are answered scripturally according to the word of God, there's no excuse. Now you have to face what you have to face. And most, and most importantly, does the Bible have to say anything at all on the issue of race and why God created us all as colored people? I was even called out on that this week. You call them colored people by a white pastor. Well, I've asked, I've asked African-American friends of mine, do you mind that? Because I, I, society changes so much. They're like, yeah, just don't call us this. <laughs> okay, I get it. But DC Talk put a song out 20 years ago called Colored People. And it's a, listen to it, it's a great song. And we're all, we all have shades of color. I love, I know they're taking a lot of heat for it, but I love Band-Aid, their new Band-Aids, you see those? They got new Band-Aids that are all different skin tones. I love them, I love them. Yeah, anyway. 
Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. It says, From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. God created race on purpose for a purpose. He created, he created differences among us on purpose for a purpose. He made us different shades and put us in different areas and gave us different attitudes and different ideologies and different thoughts and different desires and different mentalities on purpose for a purpose. Here's the on purpose part. God created races, not division. God created races, not division. He did so to unite us, not to divide us. He did so to show us a better way, one of love and unity. That should say love and unity. I, I put a, I misspelled that. It's not live in unity, it's love and unity. That's my fault. <clears throat> I knew it was up there because it's in my notes wrong. <laughs> he showed us a better way. He created us this way because he wanted us to show others another way, a better way. 1 Corinthians 13, read that. 1 Corinthians 13 is a, is a chapter on love. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, it ends with, but yet I show you a better way. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13 and talks all about love and our attitude towards love and how we should love other people and how what love does and what love goes beyond and what love will endure. Hey, man, if you're in a hey, folks, <laughs> if you're in a marriage and you're working at it, you know the links that love will go to endure and to survive. If you're raising children, you know what lengths love will go to not to murder them in their sleep. <laughs> I mean, wait a minute, I said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> By the way, Gabriel woke up three nights ago having a night terror because of everything that's going on, brought them back about six years. If you've never experienced a night terror with a child, be thankful, thank God. Gabriel walked from his end of the house, those of you who have been to our house, he walked from the bedroom all the way through the house to the base of our stairs, calling out my name. He was still asleep. Sleepwalking, came up and crawled in the bed. He's still asleep. And I said, Gabriel, what's wrong? I'm scared, Daddy, I'm scared. I said, what are you afraid of, Gabriel? I'm scared, Daddy, it took me about 10 minutes, and he's still asleep, having a night terror. And he says, Daddy, Daddy, the mean people are gonna get us. Whew. Yeah, that happens because of what they're being put through. Sorry for that. Secondly, the second on purpose part, God created races and differences on purpose for a purpose. God told us in his word that if we would know, Jesus, if we would know who Jesus is as our savior, 
If we who know Jesus as our Savior can come together in unity as the church, as the body of Christ, then we would be able to show the world that the love of God can unite those who have differences, no matter what those differences are. Listen, I'll tell you what, you can come up with all the solutions you want in society. You can defund the police. You can abolish, um, you know, school lunches. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. But unless we as a church come together in the love of Christ and reach across and love people just because they're brothers and sisters in Christ, not mattering what their skin tone is, we're never going to make progress in this country or in the church, and we will always be divided. And we are divided. Number three, in the on-purpose part, why did God create race and not division? Because God loves all people. Because God loves <laughs> all people. No matter what the color of their skin, the language they speak, <coughs> excuse me, or the part of the world in which they live. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. God did not create division. He created races, yes. So what? Major League Baseball is made up of 30 different franchises, right? 30 different franchises. And many of us have fans. The one thing, you know, I, the pastor that Melvin connected me with, and we were talking, the only problem I have, Vicki, I gotta be honest, it's, it's tougher to get over than anything else. The man's a Cowboys fan. I, I, it's bad enough the guy that runs our sound is a Cowboys fan. It's bad enough that Jonathan Rowe is a Cowboys fan and we have him in the church. Now I'm expected to be friends with a Cowboys. Of course I am, I'm being silly. The NFL has made up 30 franchises, right? 30 franchises in the NFL. There are 30 different franchises, yet they're one league. That's, that's what humanity is. We may, be several, we may be several different tones of skin in several different races and countries, but we're still one creation of God. And we need to be united in purpose. God loves all people, no matter the skin color. So that's the on-purpose part. And here's the for-purpose part. <laughs> the for-purpose part is this. God knows that all races are united by the sin problem. You see, this is where we have to get. We have to look beyond race. We have to look beyond color. We have to look beyond division. Because not one church in the Springfield metro area, which includes East Long Meadow, can do the job on its own. Not one race can do the job of reaching people with the love of Jesus Christ on its own. It's going to take a united coalition of the church of God to reach our community with the love and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Once again, Melvin Edwards, let me tell you this, and Cliff probably knows too. Melvin has been coming to church, it's been about 12 years I think Melvin has been here, Melvin and Suzanne. And I met Melvin and Suzanne when I was managing IHOP over in West Springfield, I was the night manager. And Melvin came in one afternoon, Melvin and Suzanne came in and I went over and I 
greeted them like a, like a good cheesy manager would and uh, touched the table, Drew, very personal, right? <laughs> and just started up a conversation. And Melvin was just beginning his first run for city council. And Melvin started talking, and Suzanne started talking, I started talking. It was half hour, 45 minutes, we talked. And Melvin told me, I, he knew I was a pastor, and he said, I'm going to come visit your church one day. And I have people say that a lot, so I didn't really think anything of it until about four or six weeks later, Melvin and Suzanne come walking down the hall of our church, and they've been here ever since. And Melvin, Melvin doesn't, even, if he's, even though he's home right now, uh, Melvin doesn't miss a Sunday service. I think he's only missed one or two since he's been here. And Melvin, I will forget where I was going with that, that story, but uh, Melvin says, people come to him and he say, man, you, know, you seem real happy in your life and everything. What's going on? He says, well, I'm going to a good church. And his friends, his, his African-American friends say, well, man, I'd like to go to that church. Where, what church is it? He says, it's New Life Church in East Long Meadow. And Melvin has told me, people have said, that's where you lost me. We're not welcome in that town. And what he's talking about is black and brown people not being welcome in this town. <clears throat> My desire is to change that mentality. Because if we're going to win people for Jesus, did you know that you could walk right out the back part of this property and be in Springfield? We border part of Springfield. People, people think that they're not welcome. We've got to change that. Why? Because God knows that all races are united by the sin problem. Romans 3.23 wasn't written to just white people. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is an equal opportunity employer. It does not discriminate, and it does not show favorites. The fact of and the penalty for original human sin is death on all human beings, whether they're black, white, brown, red, yellow, whatever colors you want to call. We are all truly equal when it comes to the reason for the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is the for a purpose part. The reason we need to come together is not so that we can create a new political party. It's not so that we can have harmony in America. That's not the reason that the church in America needs to come together. The reason the church in America comes together, the reason that God has given us in his word, is because people, red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight, and all are dying and on their way to hell and need Jesus Christ. And when we divide according to color, according to race, we are thwarting the work of God and the building of his kingdom. Our unity must begin at the cross where Jesus died for everyone, no matter our color. God's plan of salvation does not have exceptions for color. Jesus died for everyone. Why? Because we are all sinners. I reject completely the thinking of American citizens before 1840, white American citizens, that blacks aren't completely human. Are you out of your mind? That's just ridiculous thinking. We're all sinners. Once again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners and we all are 
bound by the sin problem, the payment of sin problem. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One thing Bob Jones Sr. did get right in that address is that we, were all, we will all be one in heaven. There will be no differences. But there's no difference here on earth either. either. We are all one. We are all, we are all humanity, and we are all united under the fact that we have a sin problem and there's a sin payment problem. And that problem... The payment for sin being death is a payment that we cannot pay on our own. Doesn't matter your color, you don't get extra points for being white. We all have the problem of not being able to pay the price for our own sins. But God says in Romans 5, 8, God proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Died for all of us, humanity as a whole. Died for every one of us no matter your color. White people, we have to understand that. We've got to be able to get beyond our differences. We've got to get beyond our prejudices. We've got to get beyond the way we think. We've got to get beyond the fact that we think they're comfortable being separate because we've got to understand that Jesus died for everyone and you need to make sure that they know they're welcome in your church. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. It's not about being good enough. It's not about being able to pay your own way. It's not about being good enough. It's about being loved enough. Did you hear that? Getting to heaven, salvation through Jesus Christ is not about being good enough. It's about being loved enough. And Jesus died for humanity, everybody. The humanity that he created with color, with differences, with races, but not division. He died for us all. And getting to heaven and building the kingdom of God as a church is not about being good enough it's about being loved enough so what do we do about it those of us who know Christ is our Savior we live in such a way that we are attracted that Jesus Christ is attractive through us to them but if you're listening to me if you're here in the auditorium this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior there's something you need to do because as I said you're it, it's not about being good enough it's about being loved enough and make sure you understand this no matter what has happened in your life no matter what you have done in your life Jesus loves you enough to make you his child he says you're a sinner just like me whether you're white, black, or brown. He says you can't pay your own way to heaven just like I couldn't, whether you're white, black, or brown. He said that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins just like he died on the cross to pay for my sins, whether you're white, black, or brown. And he says this as well, that if you will just receive that gift of eternal life like I did, whether you're white, black, or brown, he will give you eternal life in heaven. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13 say, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone, everyone, white, black, or brown, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Church, that's what we have to understand, that Jesus died for everybody, and we have no business having division in our ranks because we have the responsibility to let them know. And if you're watching with us today, <laughs> or you're in the auditorium today, and you say, well, what does that mean? What do I do? How do I confess with my mouth? Let me help you. How do you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart? You pray. Some have said it's too simple, it's too easy. In fact, there's a track we used to use for a long time called God's Simple Plan of Salvation. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, let the little ones come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, if you have faith as a child, you will, be, you, you will become a member of the kingdom of heaven. And we think it's too tough because we think we have to earn our way. We have to be good. We have to do this. We have to do that. And our good deeds are going to outweigh our bad. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you've got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And that means you have to pray. What do you pray? I would ask you to bow your heads with me. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, if you've never, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that if you will pray, if you will truly believe in your heart, believe what we have said in your heart and confess with your mouth what we're about to pray, the Bible says Jesus Christ will, will come into your heart and will save you and give you salvation, the gift of eternal life. The prayer goes like this, and I'll say it, and you can repeat it after me on, at home or, or here. The, the, the key is to believe in your heart. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that I cannot earn salvation but I know you died to pay the price for my sins. I ask you right now to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and give me your gift of salvation and eternal life. Thank you for your love and your gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you are watching us on Facebook and you prayed that prayer, you can send us a message. You can put it on the Facebook feed if you want. But you can send us a message and let us know. We want to know so that we can just reach out. We're not going to come to your house. We're not going to do anything like that. But we just want to know so that we can reach out and praise God with you. The Bible says if you're here in the auditorium and you, you prayed that prayer and accepted Christ as your Savior, let us know. The Bible says in heaven the angels of God are rejoicing right now because a sinner has come home. Church, that's what this is all about. This isn't about equality. This isn't about civil rights, although those are important, don't get me wrong. This is about a church being united and unified in the cause of Christ, seeing beyond color so that we can reach the world and build the kingdom of God, his way, not ours. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity today to be in your house and for all you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for your love and your compassion. Thank you for your grace. God, these are tough times, difficult times. Lord, uh, it's a struggle, but I pray, Father, that we will keep you first, that your purpose will be first in our lives, and that we will follow you no matter what. God, bless those who have heard this message. May we all look into our hearts and, and really dig in to see 
if what we have, uh, what we feel is according to your word. Change what needs to be changed in our hearts, Lord. Bless us. In your name we pray.